A city is not judged by its length and width, but by the broadness of its vision and the heights of its dreams. Hey, that's me, Todd Feltz. I am a professor here at the University of Nevada. Teaching public relations at the Reynolds School has been the highlight of my life. Early on, I found Reno is a great laboratory for my students to learn and grow as professionals. Welcome to the Reynolds Hotbox, a podcast about local media and the future of media from the Reynolds Media Lab. I'm your host, Lucia Starbuck. Co-hosting with me today is Scott King, an Our Town Reno reporter. Today, we're with Todd Feltz. Todd is an assistant professor at the Reynolds School of Journalism. He teaches strategic communications. Todd, thank you for joining us. It's good to be here. Thank you. And um, to get us started, will you tell us a little, a little bit about what you teach at RSJ? Sure. Well, um, this semester, I'm teaching media writing to um, the freshmen. I'm sure all of us remember that wonderful class. Um, But primarily, I am a professor of public relations and advertising. Um, I teach the principles of strategic communications, the uh, strategic communications campaigns class, um, the advanced strategic communications classes. And of course, I also teach um, every once in a while crisis communications, which is uh, my background before joining the faculty here at the Reynolds School. That is, so you kind of meet students on all levels of um, their education? I do. It's probably my favorite thing, which is the reason I'm always raising my hand saying, yes, I want to teach Journalism 107, because I think that's the opportunity to really get to know a student in a lab with 15 students working um, very hard on on writing and and teaching students to write in a new way. Um, I learn a lot. Uh, My writing improves. Um, my teaching improves because it's so one-on-one. And then when I'm teaching the more advanced classes, I think it it really kind of makes me a better teacher. I like that. I My first journalism class was with you in 107 as well. And that was, <laughs> I, I loved it, but it was also frightening. I was like, I thought I knew how to write. Apparently I don't. <laughs> right. It, it's, it's very interesting. And, you know, I sometimes, you know, I have a hard time writing academics because it's a different way of writing. So I have to work really hard to lengthen sentences because, you know, I've, I was taught that words go to a middle of a sentence to die. And so let's try to pull those words out as much as we can. And, but, you know, writing, storytelling, um, I think it has implications all across journalism, all across strategic communications. So if students learn early to be to communicate effectively in in the form of writing um, I can see them walk around campus differently they develop um, you know some confidence that that really propels them into their chosen discipline and I mean I can't underscore the importance of writing if you can write well you can do anything yeah I like how you can like really just see it on people yeah absolutely so have an experience in uh, strategic communications, and then obviously you're a teacher now at the journalism school, um, and you stress how important it is to be able to write well. Um, what are maybe some parallels between writing for communications and writing for journalism? Yeah, well, you know, I think that I believe that good strategic communications is also good news, and um, there's a lot of similarities in that, you know, we're, we're always searching for the main point. Um, we're thinking kind of in that old-fashioned inverted pyramid uh, mentality, uh, but we live our lives finding the main point. So good strategic communicators 
they learn to take lots of information and find what's really important and they put it in the lead, well, then they spend their lives writing leads. Um, so they're making decisions because they know that the lead is um, not only important, um, has not always been important, but especially important today because, you know, if you look at analytics, most people don't spend a lot of time with information. So we have to capture them quickly. We have to tell them what they need to know and, and assuming they're moving on rather quickly. Strategic communications then is once they move on, how do we connect with them again? How do we engage them again? I like to think of it as a rule of three. Yeah, if they read our written information, um, how are we going to talk to them two more times about this idea? Um, Todd, what drove you to do this kind of work? Well, um, I, you know, I started my career as a television reporter at a small station in um, Greensboro High Point. And um, it, it's great training ground for um, understanding human condition and understanding um, problems with government, um, problems with um, people, and how people interact in communities. Um, and so from there, I, um, I, I had a couple of jobs, but I ended up becoming a speechwriter for a governor. And in that capacity, um, it was really easy because I grew up in North Carolina and I wrote speeches for a very popular North Carolina governor. And we had a lot of colloquial ways of saying things. And it was a lot of fun. But when I got out of there, I realized that I had this form of writing that um, worked for some people, but it didn't work for everybody. So I had to kind of retool. And part of my career in the governor's office, um, I was plagued with a lot of crises, as most governor's offices are. And um, I became very aware of like what you have to do in order to navigate information when you're under the gun to do that. And so that led me to Washington, D.C., to graduate school at Georgetown. And um, while I was in graduate school, I started working for a crisis communications firm. And um, it was a lot of fun, but it's hard work. And I, that's what I tell my students. Um, crisis communications looks really sexy and exciting, but it's very hard work. Of course, and it says crisis in the name. How how do you yourself remain like calm in those in these kinds of situations? Yeah, yeah. My husband's always joking with me. We were in a little car accident one time, and you know they pull us into the ambulance and they take our blood pressure. My blood pressure was great, and I think just after years of being involved in things, um, I know that you can solve them, and oftentimes you solve them by telling the truth fast, and getting to the truth is the bottom line. Um, it was very interesting when we were in our car accident, I immediately, immediately jumped out of the car and started getting witnesses to stand there until the cops got there because I knew that from, you know, a strategic communication standpoint, these people were there and I don't want them to leave. And that was going to solve a lot of problems that we knew we had. Um, my husband's first reaction was to check the car. I didn't care about the car. I was more interested in the witnesses. So, <laughs> so, um, you know. I think um, I look back to my sort of the way that I behaved in those situations and I think a lot about it because, um, yes, I was stressed out and yes, it was challenging, but you just kind of you, you sort of go into a new place and you just stay really focused and you know it's going to be over quickly. And that's the other thing that's really fun about crisis communications is, is that if you do it well, it goes away. So, um What's maybe one crisis campaign that you were involved in that was like the biggest challenge or and what, what kind of lessons did you learn from that? Well, um, Levick handled the Martha Stewart trial. It 
news. It's been 15 years since Martha Stewart was sentenced for corporate fraud. A federal judge sentenced Stewart to five months in prison, five months of home confinement for lying about a stock sale. This is what she said on this day back in 2004. Today is a shameful day. It's shameful for me and for my family. And um, I was involved in the Martha Stewart trial. One of the challenges with Martha Stewart was was that, um, you know, she was a, um, um, a high-powered, um, smart businesswoman who people didn't want to see um, be successful. And so there was all this, like, um, gender equality stuff going on that I wasn't aware of, kind of, you know, underground that, that we weren't aware of. And, you know, by the time... Um, you know, but by the time the media got involved and when they were involved from the beginning, but when the media really got involved, when the media wanted information, there was no information because it was a trial. And so there's not a whole lot you can say during a trial. And then also kind of positioning her for the day when she, you know, has another opportunity to do the great work that she does. Um, always thinking about her long-term success in the middle of the crisis is also very challenging. Once again, this is the Reynolds Hotbox, a podcast about local media and the future of media from the Reynolds Media Lab. I'm your host, Lucia Starbuck. Co-hosting with me today is Scott King, and we are here with Todd Feltz. And we've just been talking about your experience um, in crisis communication and things like that. And I also wanted to ask, so you've been doing research on Turning Point USA's um, strategic communication strategies. And just to kind of brief, Turning Point USA is a conservative group. Um, you can see them on college campuses promoting their um, conservative um, right-wing ideals. They have been criticized for being um, far right. Turning Point USA has just let go of its University of Nevada, Las Vegas chapter president following a video that went viral. And uh, we obviously had to censor the video, but the uncensored version is available all over the internet. But with that said, let's take a look at the video in question. Yes. I love this. Dude, we're gonna rule the country. White power. Yeah. Oh, that's right. There was a lot of, uh, we're going to rule the world, white power, and uh, N-words tossed around. Um, what have you noticed about what they're doing? Yeah, well, my interest in Turning Point um, emerged when I had a graduate student in my crisis communications class. And she has made her life's work combating um, extremic messaging. And um, one of the things that, that became very clear in the course of my class with her was that she and I should work together to use some good principles of crisis communications to help the campus community understand um, some of the tactics that, that organizations like Turning Point uses in order to excite and entice um, college students. Um, one of the things that we uncovered uh, Samantha Kutner and me, the, the graduate student, was that they use some, you know, good old-fashioned tactics. Um, one of them is, you know, they come to campus. There's a lot of, there's a lot of um, um, rattle before they come, and people know they're coming, and um, they create a, a dialogue on campus before they ever get here. And that dialogue oftentimes occurs in classrooms, um, it occurs, you know, in the Joe Crowley Student Union and people start talking. And in the course of that communication, people create some level of anxiety. So when they show up, they go into the event 
with a pre-constructed anxiety. And so when they show up, there are hot button um, um, statements used that, of course, because they're already in the room, they're bringing anxiety with them, um, they immediately stand up and they get angry. And when they get angry, Turning Point has a camera on you, and then they use that that moment to underscore their point that they tried to make in that rattle before they came to campus. And then they use that moment to create the rattle on the next campus. And new this hour in Crime Beat, a University of Nevada student was arrested after allegedly flipping over a table on the campus. Authorities say 19-year-old Kevin Edsel Bester II was booked into the Washoe County Jail yesterday. He's charged with destruction of property and disturbing the peace. Yeah. So, can I help you with anything today? Or? Yeah. <laughs> really? Hmm. So, that video posted there on Tuesday by Turning Point USA founder and President Charlie Kirk chose Bester knocking over the table of the Turning Point chapter, running off and asking Turning Point supporters about Kirk's visit to the university. The Post claims Bester targeted the students because of their political views. And so by being aware of these, these tactics, um, we can make better decisions. And, you know, I, I was telling someone that, you know, Turning Point coming to campus is a lot like a political candidate coming to campus in that spectators have a responsibility to educate themselves before they show up for that moment um, and being aware. Because one of the things that I have learned, and I think this is what college is about, is that when we're educated and we understand what people are doing, it doesn't excite us the same way, that we become a much more proactive and interested bystander instead of someone who can be rattled um, very easily. So um, given that uh, Turning Point USA has a lot of um, satellite groups on high schools and college campuses across the country, do you think those students that are involved in these groups are uh, buy into this strategic campaign? Are they aware of this? Or is this just kind of like what the top dogs are doing? Well, you know, I think that college is a time when people explore. Um, I think that college is a time when we have to have open dialogues because students, I walk into every class knowing that students in their minds, in the back of their minds, are asking big questions. And um, so I think that there's there are some people who buy into it tremendously. But I also know that people are exploring. They're trying to find their, you know, their political stance. They're trying to find where they fit in. Um, it's an unusual time in people's lives, which is why I think it's so awesome is because we're asking a lot of questions. You know, I, I one of the things I also know is that statistics show that when a student graduates from college, whatever political preference or whatever um, political ideology they have, it usually stays with them the rest of their lives. Um, so as part of that process, I think um, because people are questioning and are asking they are a good audience to bring, um, you know, rhetoric that that excites them, and they usually fall right into it and get excited about it, and then um, they may or may not stick with it. That's really interesting about you kind of don't switch after college. Yeah. 
And um, kind of bringing it more localized, um, have you seen them do anything specific at, at the University of Nevada, Reno? Um, wh- who? Um, Turning Point USA. Well, you know, they had their big rally last year. It seems like it was a long time ago, but it was just a few months ago. And But yeah, I mean, the fact that they came to Nevada, I'm sure they're all sitting there deciding, okay, which schools should we target? Which schools should we come to? Um, I think that there's, of course, probably, likely some political um, reasons why they showed up at the University of Nevada. The same reasons why, you know, in two months, there's going to be a presidential um, rally on our our, our quad. Um, we get a lot of attention because, you know, we're we we were historically a swing state, and um, oftentimes all you got to do is to create just a little bit of uncertainty, and that little bit of certainty will will tsunami into a whole parallel of information. So. I can imagine why the University of Nevada was chosen, um, and I can imagine um, because of some other um, issues that have, um, you know, kind of come to light over the last few years, specifically with a former student being involved in the Charlottesville um, riot. Um, we have a place um, in their minds as a place to come and um, and get students excited. Why do you think um, groups like Turning Point USA are targeting college campuses? Yeah, again, because I think that the um, reality is that college campuses are places of free speech. They have historically been, and they must remain. Um, There's a lot of work going on right now here at the University of Nevada in the Office of Student Engagement, and they have a lot of materials out um, across campus, helping us think about what does free speech mean. Um, they go as far as kind of saying, here's three options of what three free speech means. And if you're a university and you're making a decision about what is free speech, I mean, one of the options is is that student and faculty and staff safety takes priority over everything else. Sort of the other end of the spectrum, that all speech is free. So there's this like gauge that we can look at on how we determine free speech. Um, I would argue that speech is freer in some ways on a college campus than it is in a town square because of the um, types of participants in the speech. Um, Because folks are sitting in rooms learning things, they're thinking about things, and they have things to say. And um, college campuses are historically and I would say currently um, a petri dish of free speech, and it's a place where we examine it. And by coming here, we challenge that that gauge of free speech. And so when somebody comes on campus, they're not just saying, here is my message. One of their underlying messages is, how free is your speech? And that's a really important point in that of course they're going to come to campus because they have this dual opportunity to deliver a message and at the same time test speech. So uh, considering that the president has to make those difficult decisions and, you know, promoting the ideal of free speech and allowing some of these more controversial groups to come to campus, um, that puts some responsibility on students to approach this appropriately. So what are some maybe ways that students should, what actions should they take to make sure that they 
uh, receive these groups appropriately. Right. Well, I mean, you know, one of the things that every student should leave a university and know how to research and, you know, go past the first page landing on Google, um, learn how to use some advanced Google searches. I mean, I think we all need to leave our with our degrees in hand um, with the understanding that we know how to find information out better than most people and that we are willing to take the time to confirm that something we read on Facebook is true or not. And I think that is a foundation of education. And I think that if we do that, um, we're going to um, have an, a, a, an upper hand in society of being good corporate citizens, being good citizens, that we recognize that we, we question things that are being tell, told to us. So that's the number one responsibility of students. The other responsibility, I think, that students need to, to understand is that it's okay to disagree with someone and to live your life understanding that there is no way you're going to agree with everyone. And, um, and also recognize that there is a strategy behind the madness. And when you educate yourself and understand what people are doing, you're going to be more effective in responding to what they're doing. Once again, this is the Reynolds Hotbox, a podcast about local media and the future of media from the Reynolds Media Lab. I'm your host, Lucia Starbuck. Co-hosting with me today is Scott King, and we are here with Todd Feltz. Um, we just broke down kind of some of the tactics of Turning Point USA's communication, but where do you think um, strategic communications is heading? Well, it's, it's heading online. <laughs> There's no question <laughs> about that. Um, but that means something. I, I think um, we're going – we don't even know all these new creative – and emerging techniques that we're going to have in the next decade to engage with our audiences. I mean, um, one of the things my husband and I have started doing, and we think it's a lot of fun, is geocaching. Um, you can find some really fun things on your hike with your your, your new puppy. Um, and just um, the other night, we were at a restaurant in um, Northwest Reno, and I opened up, we, we parked, we were driving separately, and we met. And we had our dog, and we didn't want to leave him in the car, so we're going to, like, sit outside and eat. And while we're sitting out there, I pull up my geocaching app, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, there's a treasure, right? And so we, before we get up, we walk over to, you know, the sign for the restaurant, and down below was this, you know, little container, and we opened it up, and we got a coupon for dinner. Mm-hmm. And, and as silly as that sounds, I was totally engaged and, you know, my poor husband had to listen to this big soliloquy about just imagine the opportunities for this in public relations and, and engaging people. And, you know, he was like, oh, OK, yeah, OK, yeah, you know, it's good. So, I mean, I think the future is going to be um, um, there's going to be a lot of innovation. I can already see it happening. Um, I'm, I'm seeing, you know, new ways, new possibilities for Instagram and Twitter and things that we've been using for a while. Um, I think it's going to move online, but I also think that the handwritten note will work so well in the future that it's going to be unbelievable, the power of a handwritten note. So, yes, it's moving online, but I also think that one-on-one personalized communication is going to work as, as good as ever. For, for our listeners, what advice do you have for people who are interested in media? Well, um, become a good writer, (laughs) become a good storyteller, which means that it's okay to run into someone and tell them a story. So practice your storytelling skills. 
Um, look at your life as a story. Um, how can you, um, you know, you, you're building your brand, your personal brand. You're going to need a lot of stories to convince people that you have the best brand than the other 45 people who came in the room. So always be thinking about your personal story, but also be thinking about the stories of others and how would you tell their stories for them. Um, so storytelling, writing, communication, so, so important. But if you really want to be good in media, I think you also have to have a technical acumen, you know, how to work that board that you're sitting over there with Lucia and knowing those things. So yes, learn to tell stories, but also pay attention to the technical aspects of it so that you'll know how to do it. I often tell my introduction to PR and advertising class, I am here to teach you to do things that have not been invented yet. And they're always like, what? And the, po the point of that is if you can learn how to navigate Twitter analytics now, in 10 years, when you're a supervisor or a director, you're gonna know the foundation and you're gonna get a new tool and you're gonna immediately pick it up because you have spent time on that technology or on that technical aspects of the work that we do. You know, one of the things that I know that every, at least PR and advertising student, when they get out of college, one of the first things that they don't know how to do that they should know how to do is work on an Excel spreadsheet. And that may sound silly, but I am always telling everyone, put it on Excel, you know, and then, you know, put it on Excel. What? No, put it on Excel. Figure out how to put all this stuff on an Excel document because your first job, if you can keep up with lists and find information really quick for your boss, you're going to get promoted really fast. And that sometimes is as simple as knowing how to use Excel. That's good to know. I need to brush up on my Excel. <laughs> yeah, everybody <laughs> says that when I say that. <laughs> and how is your time in the Reynolds Hot Box today? Oh, it's been great. Thank you so much. Yeah, this has been fantastic. I think we covered a lot of ground. And, um, you know, we've talked about crisis, we've talked about turning point, we've talked about PR advertising and journalism and storytelling, and this has been a lot of fun. Thank you. Thank you, Todd. This is the Reynolds Hotbox, a podcast about local media and the future of media from the Reynolds Media Lab. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and now TikTok at Reynolds Sandbox.